Hi, and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us as well as more recordings like this one on our website, yokinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. You might have seen in the news recently that Dustin Diamond, who played the character Screech in Saved by the Bell, died from cancer this week. He knew that he had cancer and that he was dying, but he thought he had several months left. And in fact, the, he, he died within three weeks' time. Uh, and what it meant was that he never really had the chance to say the kind of goodbyes that he wanted to. I wonder if you knew that you were dying, if you knew you only had a short time left, what would you want to tell your children? I know that kind of sounds a bit morbid, but let's say you could see into the future and you knew that you were going to die. Um, what would you want your loved ones and your friends to know? What kind of lessons would you like to leave with your children? Well, I know what Jesus would say because the Gospels record it for us. This morning, we're looking at the whole of Mark's 10th chapter. So if you've got your Bibles handy, turn to Mark chapter 10, keep your finger in there. And this chapter tells us exactly what Jesus was teaching and doing in the last few days before he arrived at Jerusalem for the last time. To put it in context, this is the few days before we find Jesus riding triumphantly into Jerusalem with people all around him shouting and dancing and singing, Hosanna! And then after that day, the last week of Jesus' life gets incredibly hectic, and we know that is the Passion Week. But before all the chaos of that final week, Jesus had a few days to spend with his disciples as they were making their way to Jerusalem. As they travelled, Jesus taught them some powerful lessons. You'll find descriptions of this not only in Mark, but also in Matthew chapter 20 and Luke chapter 19. But today, I want to focus on just five issues that Mark records for us. There are several parables and stories and events in these chapters, and I'm sure there are more than one perspective or more than one application we can get for them. But what I want to do this morning is I want to draw our attention to the values that Jesus teaches us about. And particularly, we'll compare earthly values versus the values of the kingdom of God. Firstly, we'll discover that in this world, people value convenience, whereas in God's kingdom, he values commitment. In our first story, we find some Pharisees trying to test Jesus about his view on the law regarding divorce. You see, they tried to force Jesus into taking sides in this ongoing debate the scholars were having, all around the meaning in Deuteronomy that you can divorce your wife for something shameful. Now, some of the scholars taught that this meant uh, you could only divorce your wife for idolatry or adultery, while others taught that anything shameful could basically be anything that brought shame on the husband, including if you burned his dinner. So here's how that discussion went. In Mark chapter 10, picking it from the first verse, we read that Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, 
Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and sent her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. See, Jesus reminds them that marriage is supposed to be a joining for life. But since we are human, human, uh, humans who are fallen, there will be broken relationships. That's why Moses included a certificate of divorce in the law. But it's when Jesus is alone with his disciples that he expresses his true values. So the passage goes on to say, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. You see, the point Jesus makes, he's, he's issuing a point about our heart rather than what's just in the word of the law. And this is typical whenever Jesus discusses the Mosaic law. For instance, uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman in lustfully has already committed adultery. So Jesus frequently used this, you know, you have heard or you have read, but I say formula with the law to remind people that it's not merely about following rules. It's your actual heart, your intent that really counts. See, Jesus does the same thing here regarding divorce. Sure, you can argue, yeah, legally I can get divorced. But what is your actual motivation for doing it? Is your true motivation simply that you've given up on this relationship and you think another relationship will be better? You, you want to get rid of this relationship so you can marry somebody else? It doesn't matter what the law says in that case. Sure, the law says you can get divorced, but in your heart, you're committing a sin. See, in this world, we tend to do whatever is convenient rather than work hard and be committed in the long haul. We see it when it comes to, to marriage, to education, to work, to all sorts of relationships. But fortunately for us, God is not fickle. God's feelings towards us do not change. He'll never dump us because he thinks loving someone else will be more fun. God is fully committed. Not just for years, not for decades or even a lifetime, but for eternity. Second, we value structure, but God values welcome. You've probably heard it said, never work with children and animals. That's because kids are unpredictable. They're messy. They're disordered. They upset our carefully constructed lives. Just ask anyone who's been stuck in lockdown for months with little kids and they'll tell you all about disruption. Well, in this next story, Jesus' disciples were enjoying their structured, peaceful teaching time with Jesus when this happened. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Again here, Jesus' values differ to that of his disciples. 
So he could have been annoyed. He could have said, oh, I've only got a few days left with my disciples. Leave me alone so I can teach them. But he didn't. Jesus was happy to interrupt his structured teaching time to bless these children. Now, I don't expect these children were all little angels. I'm sure they wriggled and fidgeted like kids lining up to see a shopping centre Santa. I'm sure they were noisy and they interrupted some serious teaching that Jesus was doing. But Jesus shows that he values taking time to welcome these children. You know, following on from the discussion about marriage, uh, this is another great example that Jesus shows how much he values family. Because these kids didn't just appear from nowhere. Their mums and dads were bringing them to Jesus. So Jesus is teaching all these people here that he values family and real personal relationships. And they are more important than his structured teaching time. Thirdly, we value wealth, but God values sacrifice. So next we find an account of a rich young man who comes to Jesus in search of some answers. Now, this was the passage that Cynthia read for us this morning. See, the prevailing view, the prevailing philosophy in that day was pretty similar to the, uh, to the prosperity teachers that we have today. If you were favoured by God, you would be blessed financially. Therefore, anyone who was wealthy must therefore be in good favour with God. But say, they've missed the point. They had it all backwards. God doesn't honour people by bestowing wealth on them. You know, just because, oh, I like you, I'm going to make you wealthy. That's not how it works. The only wealth that God bestows on us is the wealth that he bestows on people who are willing to give up everything for the gospel. And then the kind of wealth he's talking about is in the areas of salvation, of, self, of spiritual gifts, of a personal relationship with God himself. Jesus declared that there is no true wealth without sacrifice. And so again here, Jesus uses the you have heard, but I say formula. You see, this young man had read all about the law. And he thought, well, because I'm wealthy, I must be in okay with God. But Jesus challenges him that he's got to get his heart right. The meaning of sacrifice is not, as it turned out, performing acts before the law of God. Its real meaning comes from the Latin word to make holy. That's what sacrifice is. It means to set something apart for God. And so true sacrifice isn't following rules, especially not following rules because we think they're going to benefit us. It's a willingness to go beyond rules because we are passionate about serving God. True sacrifice makes deposit into a heavenly account, even if it costs us practically now. You see, true sacrifice comes from a recognition that we can't save ourselves. And so we are willing to surrender all we are to our God. We, play, we place importance on gaining and getting, but God places importance on giving. When we chase after wealth, God wants sacrifice. Next, we value position, but God values servanthood. So Jesus takes his disciples aside and he tells them that he's about to be arrested and crucified 
and rise again on the third day. But of course, the disciples miss the point completely. And so we find another example where earthly values come in direct opposite with God's kingdom values. And John records, uh, sorry, Mark records for us here that James and John came to Jesus and said, Teacher, let one of us sit on your right hand. Let one of us sit on your left hand when you come into your glorious kingdom. See, another prevailing belief, especially amongst Jesus' own disciples, was that Jesus the Messiah was going to set up a physical, earthly kingdom and rescue them from the rule of the Romans. And unfortunately, they glossed over all of the stuff that Jesus said about the suffering that's going to come first because their greedy eyes could only see power. And there was a reaction by the rest of the disciples. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Not indignant because James and John had missed the whole message. Not indignant because James and John had, had tried to somehow change the teaching of Jesus. But they were indignant because James and John were trying to get the jump on them. And so Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their kings and officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, James and John, assuming that Jesus, over the next course of the next few days or weeks, was going to set up this wonderful kingdom, um, decided they would take the opportunity to ask Jesus for a favour. And Jesus says, look, guys, if you want to be truly great, if you want to be rulers, you've got to first become servants. And this is the opposite of how the leaders of this world think. And this is the opposite of how the disciples should be thinking. A woman by the name of Anne Lamott uh, kept a diary when her first son was born. Uh, she was a single mother at the time. She had very little money and she was also very new in her faith. And, and this is what she wrote. Last night, something truly amazing happened. A man from church showed up at our door, smiling and waving, and so I let him in. He said, my wife and I want to do something for you and for the baby. So what I want you to ask is, what if a fairy appeared on your doorstep and said that he or she would do any favour for you at all? Anything that you wanted around the house that you felt too exhausted to do by yourself and too ashamed to ask someone else to help you with? Oh, I can't even say, I said, oh, it's, it's too horrible. But he finally convinced me to tell him. And I said it would be to clean the bathroom. So he ended up spending the next hour scrubbing the bathtub and toilet and sink. While I sat on the couch while he worked, watching TV, feeling vaguely guilty and nursing the baby to sleep. But it made me feel sure of Christ again, of that kind of love. This, a man scrubbing a new mother's bathtub, is what Jesus means to me. The Apostle Paul understood that concept. He said, you know, he said that he wanted the people around him to regard us as servants of Christ, 
who are entrusted with his mysteries. An author by the chap of Joseph Novison wrote an article called Draped in a Servant's Towel Rather Than a Master's Robes. Obviously, he's um, alluding to the Last Supper where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And in it, he writes, Servanthood requires a level of humility and brokenness that is not conducive to self-promotion, self-protection or self-presentation. Imagine standing before any body of Christ and proclaiming, I am your number one foot washing, toilet pump plunging, trash cleaning, floor scrubbing, diaper changing, spiritual janitor. See, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that there's a far higher position in the kingdom of God than being seated at his right hand. And that position is on your knees as a servant, loving our fellow man through acts of kindness and unselfishness. He values servanthood, not positions of authority. Lastly, we value quiet, but God values compassion. In the last part of this chapter, we read that as Jesus and his disciples were together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city and a blind man, the son of Tanaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and called him over. When the men came to Jesus, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see well, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and continuing, he followed Jesus on the road. You know, we often talk of uh, peace and quiet as if being quiet is the same as having peace. So this blind man could have remained quiet but he was certainly not at peace. As we looked a few weeks ago, the Hebrew word for peace of, uh, means to be whole, to fix something that is broken. He was poor, he was lonely, he was suffering. And so Jesus is walking along, he's teaching the crowd, they're all enjoying listening to his teaching, and they're interrupted by this annoying, noisy man. See, the crowd thought he was just being loud and obnoxious. He was interrupting what they thought of as their peace interrupting their teaching session. And so they told him to shut up. It's, uh, it's very similar, isn't it, to the earlier story when the children had the audacity to interrupt their solemn teaching session. You know, this man was just an inconvenience to them. But Jesus values compassion more than their quiet, orderly lives. He's happy to be interrupted because it gives him an opportunity to demonstrate what really matters. The people had been enjoying the teaching, but they obviously weren't listening carefully enough. So Jesus demonstrated his teaching for them. For him, compassion was more important than their peace and quiet. In his last few days, Jesus took the time to teach his followers and to demonstrate for his followers the values of the kingdom of God, 
the things that really matter. We value convenience, but God values commitment. We value structure, but God values welcome. We value wealth, but God values sacrifice. We value position, but God values servanthood. We value quiet, but God values compassion. And so Jesus did more than just teach those values. He'd live them. You know, it's very easy to claim that you hold a certain set of values, but our true values are evident by the way we live. Today, we're beginning a process of developing a vision for our church. I estimate this is going to be a three-month process of planning and formulating our vision, uh, and this will guide us over the next few years. If you look in our newsletter, and hopefully you've got it by our email because I've got a whole bundle of these that I can't give you out personally, um, but if you look in the newsletter, you'll see a little document um, all about the Vision 2025. Now, you'll note that I've got a bit of detail there on the first step, but not much for the second and third steps because they'll come later. Uh, and so our first step is to look at our values. So if you look on the back of that page, um, you will see a, a page that uh, explains the process. And again, it particularly asks us about our values because I believe that's a, a great place for us to start. Next week, I'm going to speak more about vision and we're going to be launching a process where we start doing a, a survey of all of our members. Uh, but I'll tell you more about that next week. This week, I want to focus on our values. And so if you look at this page, you'll see that there are a list of values that fit in underneath our share, care and dare vision. And I'd like you to read that over the next week. Perhaps read it once a day for the next week um, before we get together again. And we're going to have opportunities in the next few weeks um, where we challenge ourselves about whether we're living by those values. And so as you read them, I want you to ask yourself uh, some simple questions. Firstly, are these... Oh, oh the joys of doing stuff at home. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. As you, as you look at it this week, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Are our values in keeping with the values of God's kingdom? Are these values that I live by? Are these values that my church lives by? And if not, what should I do about it? Come here, you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, teaching us through the words of Jesus. Thank you for especially teaching us through the actions and the life of Jesus. Lord, thank you that the way he acted demonstrated for us what his true values are. Lord, help us to align our values with yours. Lord, help us not to place more importance on the temporary things of this world than the eternal things of your kingdom. Lord, help us to be constantly saying, are these God's values? Are these the things that are really important? And putting our effort into those. 
Lord, help us as a church as we spend time over the next three months going through uh, examining our vision, seeing that we are in line with what you want for our church and seeing that our values measure up. So constantly challenge us, we pray, Lord, and help us to go out there and live according to our values. Lord, live according to your values as we go out each week, as we interact with those that maybe don't know you. Help us to show them what truly counts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. And extra thanks to those that have donated to us online. It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and God bless.